Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. We're uh, we're so blessed to catch up to this gentleman once again. I call him the most active guy in the Catholic media right now. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got his podcast, newsletter. He's even publishing some readings from the Dewey Reims Bible, which is really, really cool. So, But most importantly, a family man, husband, and father to four. Welcome back to our good friend and brother in Christ, William Hemsworth. Thanks for coming back and joining us here in the Great White North here, William. That's my pleasure to be with you, David, and thanks for the invite once again. Always great talking with you. How have you been? I, fabulous. We were just talking about the weather, and it's a little smoky up here as we record this this summer. We've got a lot of fires around us, so maybe mm. keep us in your prayers here in uh, BC and Saskatchewan. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fires there, forest fires, and then in Alberta, another place. We have a lot of drought, so crops aren't doing as well as they should be, and uh, agriculture is still a big focus, of, especially for Alberta here in Wild Rose Country, so we'd appreciate that. Oh, definitely. And uh, I always say, because I know a lot of people, especially guys, we like to drink our brews. Well, we make a lot of barley and wheat is uh, grown here in Alberta. So <laughs> pray for the crops so that we'll have a, a plentiful harvest of uh, beverages come uh, fall and winter. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wanted to thank yeah, you definitely. too for, for being on my podcast there a few months ago, William. It was, it was great. And, and now that you know we've kind of been following each other a little bit through social media, I wanted to tell our listeners, too, that on June 18th, 2005, that was a really cool day for both of us. Maybe share what happened uh, to you on, on that day. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny that that happened, right? Because that's when we got, well, that's both of our wedding days when we married our wives. So that's a pretty small world, really. So we have we have that. There's so many ways our lives parallel each other, but that's one huge one. So <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's uh, I had to chuckle when you, we posted that because uh, we were making some. When I, when I read it, we were actually um, I think I was looking on the, the internet to find a place to take uh, Teresa for dinner, and then I saw that and I'm like, oh, that, that that's pretty cool. What day was that? Oh, 2005. Yeah. So William and I were doing the exact same thing on that day, uh, sweating bullets, but uh, making a big. Uh, a big commitment for uh, God and our family, and that's uh, turning out to, to be a blessing for both of us to Amen. be yeah, married to, to wonderful women and having some awesome children that God has gifted to us as well. So I also want to tell you the funny story about um, the last time you were on our podcast, the, we were uh, we were chatting, and then your wife comes into the room, and, and William, you said, well, just hang on one second, Dave. And I believe it was at that moment, even I think you muted your microphone, that, that your wife said you were the proud owner of a puppy so now you have a puppy yes. so i'm hoping today that door behind you doesn't open and, and maybe you'll be a new owner of a, of a cat hopefully that doesn't happen to you but <laughs> sounds like this, uh, yeah. this dog is kind of like a child for you anyways another child it keeps you up at night a little bit <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't think there's going to be any chance of a cat coming in lola, lola is a lot of fun she's seven months old now um she's a little aussie doodle or aussie poo however you want to pronounce it she only weighs about six pounds um, full grown she may get up to 10 she's, she's gonna be a little thing but yeah she's like she's like a kid she likes to hang out with the kids whenever the kids start running around outside she has to be out there running around with them 
and it, it's a lot of fun though. I, I can't complain. I think for kids too, it's <laughs> nice to have a, a, a pet of some sort to take care of. I think it's kind of kind of neat. I grew up on a farm, and uh, we had lots of uh, lots of animals around, particularly a lot of cats. But uh, yeah, puppies and, and kitties, I think those are good for for children too. So. No, that's great. And and then the other thing I wanted to bring up to you, because I know you, you like your coffee in the morning, so do I. But I noticed you posted that you found a maple-infused Tim Hortons coffee. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe I, I've never seen that in Canada. I'm sure somebody's going to come and say, uh, hey, Dave, you just shop at the wrong grocery stores or something. But, uh, yeah, where did where did you find that? Especially in Arizona. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a grocery store down here called Safeway. They're, they're owned by Albertsons. Right, we have some of those up and, here too, but I think they're owned by a different parent company. But this, the name is still here, yeah. But I was out of coffee, and I was like, and I tried to, I wanted to, I normally try different ones, and I'm strolling through, and I see Tim Hortons. I'm like, well, I've never seen Tim Hortons here before, and I see the maple infused, so I got it, and was like, man, this stuff is delicious. And then, yeah, that. I, I get that whenever I can. And then also I, I found just the regular roast, which is delicious as well. It's probably my favorite coffee. That's what's in this cup now. And at Costco, just this past Saturday, uh, we went in there. They had Tim Hortons, but it was a hundred pack Keurig. I was like, yeah, all right, let's go. So that's a week for you, right? That's a good a week. week yeah, you know, that, that, no, that, that's, that should be like two weeks. good three, four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And see, so, so you know, Tim Hortons is kind of an institution up here. It's sort of our... Uh, it's our fast food institution in, in Canada. I mean, I don't know, probably some people in the United States, they might look at it and think, is that a reference to the Dr. Seuss book that Horton Hears a Who? Maybe they have a new coffee out or something. I don't know. <laughs> but that's great that you found No, I have a friend of mine in Buffalo, and it's, it's big in uh, Buffalo too, but of course, but of course Buffalo's right on the border. Yeah, that's right. There's a, but, yeah, a lot of things that cross over. I think Detroit as well is one of those cities that a lot of uh, yeah things like Tim right, Hortons but, and Canadian stuff seeps in hockey but, as well. Yeah, but I, I had always wanted to try it, just never had the chance to. And now it's, it's sold in Costco and the grocery store right next to me. So yep. there we go. That's all you have to bring up, I think, when you get to the border and you get across, William, you'd be pretty much like a citizen. Like I said, you just all you need is a, is a, is a hockey jersey, like a Connor McDavid jersey. He's a great player up here. <laughs> we'll send maybe one of those to you and get you a pet moose or a, a pet school of beavers to, to keep you company there with your dog. And I think you'd be a Canadian. So that's really cool. No, that's uh, that's uh, that's great, uh, William. Again, I appreciate you you joining us here, and and uh, it's always fun to to chat with you. And uh, I did want to talk to you about um, uh, something that uh, that came up in our last conversation because you talked about your conversion. Well, first your reversion to the faith, or sorry, your convert. No, let's get the 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 order right. You converted to the Catholic Church, then you fell away again, and then you reverted right. back, and now you're in it for the long haul, which is awesome. But uh, the early Church Fathers was a, a real significant part of your journey. So uh, maybe take us back to, to that point again, maybe remind people of how, you know, you first came into the church and then you, then you kind of fell away for a bit and then you came back and you maybe take us back to that time and refresh our memories again. Oh, sure. Well, I came into the church, uh, basically it goes back to when my wife and I were talking about getting married. Okay. Um, she said she really wanted to get married in the Catholic church. And I was like, okay, I'll just become Catholic then, you know, kind of flippantly. Okay, so I uh, went through RCIA and also had to get an annulment during that time because I did something really dumb when I was 19 years old. <laughs> okay, and when, once that was done, went through RCIA again. And I went through, though, not really believing everything. Okay, so I, I tell people I, be, I came into the church for the wrong reasons. 
I, I came in because I came in to make uh, someone happy. It wasn't because I believed it was true. So I went through it basically. And looking back, I was made, I made a mockery of the sacraments, to be honest with you. That's kind of boiling it down. That's kind of how it was. I came into the church. I had had first Holy Communion. Um, really didn't believe it was what the church said it was. Okay. I believed it was still symbolic. I was still stuck in that uh, Protestant thinking. And I re- and yeah, it's pretty sad thinking back on it, but it, it is what it is. And I've learned a lot from it. So as Fulton Sheen said, if you don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that's like normally the first domino to fall on someone leaving the church at some point in time. And that's kind of, that's really what happened. I did. I, I didn't, I was taught what the church believed. I just didn't believe it. And I didn't do any further study on it. Okay. I didn't, I didn't read the catechism on it. I didn't read the early church fathers. I, in my mind, I was right. It was a very prideful thing. Um, so I, I thought that way over a couple of years. I was still going to mass with my wife because I during this time, I still thought it was important to go church as a family. Okay. I didn't want her going to one church and be going to another one. I wanted us to all go together. Now, it doesn't mean I was trying. I, I was still trying to get her to leave. Okay. But she's like, no, this is, this is, this, I'm Catholic. She didn't know how to explain it. She was, she's like, this is true. I don't know how to explain it, but it is. And so I had this bright idea one day, like, I'm going to go to seminary because I always wanted to get um, some deeper education in religion, faith. So I, I, I enrolled at this Baptist seminary. I'm like, you know what? I hear Catholics saying that the early church fathers are Catholic. I'm going to study church history and say, hey, just to prove that that's not the case. Okay. Um, so yeah, we started reading some of the early church fathers and it was interesting. We, we read, we read like, um, say Justin Martyr was a big one. Irenaeus was a big one. And then after that, it was very strange because we jumped to the 1600s with Isaac Backus and the founding of the Baptist in England, how they went to Holland and everything else. So we had the first couple centuries. We, we looked at a couple of the church fathers, but that was enough. It was, I was, I felt like I was being pummeled reading these works. Like the Holy spirit was like hitting me with a frying pan this whole time. Like wake up, wake up, especially, you know, Ignatius of Antioch, Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus, those three are so powerful. And you see, you see so much of Catholicism in them that you really have to be prideful and blinded and satan does that he's really good at putting those blinders up and saying no this is wrong we could rationalize this we could try to say hey you know this is what they're really saying even though it's there in black and white but yeah after reading those three i i was like wow um i need to make a decision here and i still had some things to work through so slowly but surely i started um, believing that the Eucharist was, you know, is the body, blood, soul, divinity of our Lord. Uh, started believing in baptismal regeneration. Um, one last one I had an issue with, with all things, which some people think is weird. And looking back, I think so as well, was the assumption of Mary. I was like, where is this in the Bible? Where is this? And some people would point to, you know, Revelation 12, 1. You know, you know this woman clothed in the sun, standing, you know, 12, 12 stars, so the crown around her head and everything. But I was always taught that that was Israel. And 
And that's a secondary meaning. The church does teach it. That's a secondary meaning of it. But one day, I, 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 I emailed the Coming Home Network. I'm like, I'm struggling with the Assumption of Mary. And they sent me a couple books. They sent me Behold Your Mother by uh, Tim Staples, which is a fantastic book, by the way. And they sent me Hail Holy Queen by Scott Hahn. Okay, so I read, I read um, Behold Your Mother. And I was like, okay, there's a historical case here, but I'm still not buying it. <laughs> okay. I still have some issues. I didn't know what it was. And maybe a day or two after, after that, this video came across Facebook. They see Facebook can be used for some good things here. This came across Facebook by Scott Hahn, who's talking about the assumption. And pretty much every objection that he had was one that I had when he was, and he answered, it was like, he was talking to me. And one of the last things he said, it was so simple, but it made so much sense. And he's like, just, just look at the great cathedrals. Wherever there's a great saint in the church, there's huge cathedrals and basilicas built where their remains are. And he said, no, there's no basilica claiming to have the bones, the remains of Mary. If so, if what basilica did, it'd be the biggest church ever built but there's no church like that. And I was like, that makes so much sense. It's so simple. Maybe it was just too simple, but I was like, that makes so much sense because if, if a church, if a church, if a, if a country claimed to have the remains of Mary, the church would, of course would investigate if they came to the conclusion, there'd be this huge, huge basilica over it. It'd be this, destination pilgrimage site from the world over no place claims that so for me that was a very powerful statement to that truth of the assumption of mary it is interesting william because you know a lot of uh, a lot of protestants would look at catholics and they know that we have uh, a, a special place of honor for our saints you know regardless of who the right. saint is and these basilicas cathedrals and other churches are built in their honor that, that's a that's a real great point, and I think a real interesting uh, talking point too to share with with others as well when it comes to you know the dogmas of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right? So yeah, right. So sometimes when I'm talking chatting with converts online on Facebook, like in that Catholic converts group for people that are just coming into the church and everything, sometimes that comes up. Like, how do you believe in the Assumption of Mary, or have, did you ever struggle with it? And it's a big problem for Protestants because it's not it's implicit in the Bible, but it's not explicit. Okay. Um, and so one of the admins in there said this, would, I didn't struggle with this doctrine at all. And she was, she was a pastor. Like you talk about someone who lost everything to become Catholic. Mm -hmm. She did. <laughs> she lost her job. <laughs> okay. Her livelihood. Mm -hmm. But she's like, I did, I had no, I had no objection to the assumption of Mary because it just made sense. If, if there's a church that claimed it, it'd be a huge thing. It's not there. Therefore it's true. Like it was a really simple thing for her. For me, it, it took a little bit more time <laughs> mm -hmm. and a lot, and a lot more digging. But God bless my wife, David, because she wanted so, so badly to like email people on my behalf on my uh, my objections and everything. And she said, I, I, I'll never forget her word. She said, I needed you to find out for yourself. I knew you were digging. I knew you would get there at some point. I didn't know when, but I had to be patient. So I just prayed. And it, I mean, this was probably three or four years. I probably put I put her through the ringer. Like it, I would, it, 
I probably was not the easiest person to live with at this point, but she stuck with me. She prayed. And I really think if she had prodded me on a daily basis about it, it probably would have pushed me away further, but she's there. She, she was patient and I'll never forget. I, te- I texted her from the parking lot at the bank. You know, we're talking about working at banks prior. Yes. And I was, I was waiting for the bank to open. And it was the day after I saw the Scott Hahn video and I texted her and I said, I'm in. And she responds back. She's like, you're in, what are you talking about? You're in. I'm like, I, I I'm Catholic. Like I, I believe, I believe it. And she just responded back. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I just wanted us to grow old, going to the church together. And I was afraid that wasn't ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I went to confession that next Saturday and, you know, you know, bless me, father. I've sinned. It's been what, four years since my last confession or whatever it was. And Father Schubert, God bless him, he's since passed on. He said, did you bring a lunch? <laughs> because it's been so long. And he did it just to break the tension. He wasn't trying to, like, sure. make fun of me or anything. Was that, was he that could your tell first I, time you'd been to confession since the, you were you were brought into the yeah. church? So, so you went yeah. the one time? Or did, or did yeah. you even go? Because I, I, I'm assuming the first time that you entered the church, William, was your initial baptism when you were younger? Was that uh, a um, or whatever? Yeah. It was one of, I had a conditional baptism in the church because um, I was baptized in the Wesleyan church and they didn't do uh, certificates or anything. Okay, sure. And, and even though my parents were there, they couldn't remember the baptismal formula that was used. And so they were just like, just be on the safe side. I'm like, it was Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I was there and like, just in case. So they did a conditional. So did confession just in case. Yeah. Okay. One, One of those things. But yeah, that's the second time. So I'm going in the confessional. I'm crying. And he's like, dude, did you bring a lunch? And we just started laughing. Oh, I'm like, great. that was. and Holy Spirit moment, I'm sure, right? To, you know. it, it, it was. And I told him, and he's like, son, you're here. You, I'm, I have no doubt that you've learned a lot through this whole thing. Um, it's a new start for you. Just take what you've learned and apply it going forward. And it's going to be okay. God loves you. You're here now. So it, it was a great thing. And for those wondering, it wasn't one of those 30, 30 minutes spiritual uh, confessions you hear about on Twitter sometimes. Okay. It, it was a quick, it was a five, it was a five minute thing, but it was, I got everything off my chest, you know, told everything and yeah, it was great. And been here ever since uh, finished that. I finished that degree at that seminary. Cause I was almost done already. I only had like two classes left, two, three classes left, uh, finished it up and yeah, here I am. Maybe just a quick point to <laughs> William on the prayers of, of your wife. And I know your, your mother-in-law is a, sounds like a, a faithful person as well. Faithful, uh, Catholic. Is that, is that true, William? I, I don't want to she, take that uh, turn, but yeah, she, she is, she's, she was born in, she was born into the church. She was born in 1942. So she's God bless her. She's almost 80 years old now. So you had some family yeah, she, that was praying for you. And, and, and like you said, like your wife said, just the, um, knowing and having the confidence that God would eventually lead you back to the church was, is encouraging. I think we do have probably most of our listeners. I know if even in my family, your family too, William, we probably all know, uh, unfortunately more than just a few people that have fallen away from the church for whatever reason. And, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, sometimes it can be, it can be kind of sad to think about them being away and not part of our family anymore, our spiritual family. So this, this should give people a lot of hope. And I think it, good messages to encourage people to keep praying and offering up your, your sacrifices and, and, 
you know, your penance and, and things like that for their, their conversion that, that God will open. Well, if they, if they open the door to God, even just a, just a crack, right. God will just come. Oh yeah. Come filling up that, that void uh, so fast, right. Just needs that little crack in the door to open. Right. Oh yeah. I'll stick his arms in there and push it open. Yeah. No problem doing that at all. Yeah, that's so <laughs> that's what he'll, that's what he'll do. <laughs> so good. So good. So back to the seminary there and you're, you're learning about the early church fathers. How was that presented by a, you know, a Protestant seminary? Well, we did, we read a, a series of books um, and some of it, we did read the original sources on uh, one of the books we read initially. It's on my bookshelf behind me here. I still have it. It's called introduction of the church fathers for evangelicals. That was a very interesting book. There was a little bit of quotation from the church fathers in there. But it was kind of uh, Protestantized, if you will. Like when, like for example, when Ignatius of, when Ignatius of Antioch was talking about the authority of the bishop, they were very quick to say it doesn't mean bishop in the Catholic sense. There, it was quick to say that for good reason. <laughs> okay, because Saint Ignatius of Antioch talks about wherever the bishop is, there's the Catholic Church essentially. Okay. And that's the first time we hear the word Catholic it was St. Ignatius of Antioch in 110. Yeah, very early so that, in the game, right? Yeah, very early. Very, yeah. very early in the game. And when it came to the Eucharist, like um, when St. Ignatius of Antioch says, we believe this Eucharist to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ, they changed Eucharist to Lord's Supper. Mm. So they kind of did that Protestant language in there. Um, so that's kind of how it was presented. You, but still got the point across I'm like, okay, there's something here. And I went back and actually read St. Ignatius of Antioch. I have, um, I had bought, I had purchased logos, logos Bible software at that point, because we got a discount on it and I still use it. I used to have the Catholic version, but all the other stuff still funneled over because I'm a big, I'm a big nerd. I read all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, but I, but I went into St. Ignatius of Antioch and it had the Greek right next to it and the English. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had all the Greek worms, Greek words for Eucharist there. And wow. it said only, only the, the heretics abstain from the Eucharist because they profess that it's not the body and blood of Jesus. I'm like, Oh, hold on. I thought it was symbolic here. Here's someone to 110 AD saying that it isn't like what's going on here. So that was a, that was kind of a big thing. That was like, I call it that first um, hit in the head of the frying pan. That's kind of what I tell people. Let me see if I can find the quote real quick. Cause I had it up and then it stopped here. It says right here in his letter to the Smyrnians, they abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our savior, Jesus Christ flesh which suffered for our sins and which the father in his goodness raised up again they who deny the gift of god are perishing in their disputes and perishing is so a that very, was a very powerful thing for me to read perishing is a very uh, strong word too uh, not only back then but also now because when we talk about perishing in the spiritual sense we're talking about the death of the soul right, right. so interesting that was an, oh, exactly. that's an interesting time too, William, because that's the time, you know, the apostles and, and disciples uh, of Christ are they're slowly starting to, to get martyred, right, for the most part. So that next generation of successors, uh, uh, that, that's the time it was coming up. So when our Lord said to St. Thomas, you know, blessed are they who have 
who have not seen but have come to believe that was starting to become that generation, right? Where some of these early church fathers were already, um, you know, they, they hadn't seen the Lord. Maybe some of them had seen some of the apostles and disciples, but just specifically on St. Ignatius um, and maybe some of the other early church uh, uh, fathers, were they disciples uh, or followers of some of the original apostles as well? Yeah, so St. Ignatius of Antioch, he was a disciple of St. John. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just, just like St. Just like St. Polycarp. Mm-hmm. St. Polycarp was. Right. So St. Ignatius of Antioch, he's a disciple of St. John. And he wrote these seven letters. Like I just read from one of them, the letter of the Smyrnians. And then there's one to the Philadelphians, not the town in Pennsylvania, the you know, letter to the Philadelphians and all, and all this. And he's writing these on the way to Rome to be martyred. So he, he knew he was going to die. He had been captured in Antioch where Christians were first called Christians. So he had been bishop there. Peter was the first bishop. He was ordained by St. Peter. And then he was taught by St. John. Think of that lineage. I mean, how fantastic wow. and how, how powerful is that? Mm-hmm. So he's so he's captured and he's led along to these different towns on the way to Rome to die. And eventually, you know, he was fed to lions. But he he he's writing these letters to the various churches to encourage them because the Gnostic heresy was uh, very prominent at the time. And we see hints of this hints of this in the new testament as well especially in john's letters uh first john in particular but it was starting getting more and more popular and they believed that all matter was evil okay um some believe that you know the sex between spouses or sex in general was the evil thing anything having to do with flesh was evil that you know jesus didn't really die on the cross it was someone who died but the spirit of the messiah left before that person died all this all this weird stuff and so because they've said that all matter was evil, they said that the Eucharist was not the body and blood of Christ because something good cannot be evil at the same time, essentially. And so here, here's Ignatius of Antioch saying, you know, they don't confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, which rose from the dead, died for our sins. I mean, that's the gospel right there yes. in a nutshell. Yep. Um, I mean, and then he's talking about the bishop. You know, he's saying, see that you follow the bishop, even as Jesus Christ does the father and the priest, as you would the apostles, reverence the deacons as being an institution of God. Let no man be connected with the church without the bishop. Like what? I'm reading this in about December. And and this is where the book says, well, this is talking about the local pastor. (laughs) That's what this is Mm -hmm. talking about. That one book. I'm like, when you look into the into church history, no, that's not what it means. The the bishop was in charge. Yeah, it could have been a church, but it was actually in charge of the whole city. Right. During time during the times of Ignatius, they didn't have big churches like we do today. I mean, persecution was heavy. It cost a lot to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like it was something you you were willing to give your life for. They lost jobs, their lives, homes, the whole matter. But no, the bishop was in charge of the whole. The whole thing. And then he goes on to say, though, David, let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by one who has entrusted it. So, like, here's the Eucharist again, incorporated with the bishop. This is Catholic stuff here. (laughs) And you have to do and you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to get around that. And I started noticing that. Um, If. I started noticing that when I was reading these letters 
because the book I was telling you about the introduction to the church fathers for for evangelicals and I butchered the title just now. It's been a few years since I've read it, but, uh, <laughs> but man, they had, they had a couple sentences in there, but then it was what it means. And it was, had that spin. But what I found interesting, David was the author who wrote it. And I know I'm sidebarring a little bit here, but he had a doctorate from a Baptist seminary, but he went to an Episcopal church because there's a Eucharist there. And so I thought that was interesting. So I was like, why is that? If you're rationalizing this, why are you not still in a Baptist church? Why are you going to an Episcopal church where they say that they have a valid Eucharist? Even though we would say they don't, but in his mind, they did. But you do see that sometimes with, with people that are converting or they, they know that uh, you know a, a, a Protestant denomination of some sort, it it's not the fit because they see that there is ample evidence for the Eucharist, even just in scripture, if you look at John six, and we've talked about that before too, right? So yeah. there's that, that ample evidence, but just because, you know, just throughout their lives, they're probably, you know, kind of given this, um, this narrative on what the Catholic church is. And it's like, you know, stay away from the Catholic church. Right. So they tried to go and find it somewhere else. And it's, it's right. kind of a, a little bit funny how the Episcopalian church is sort of where they Sometimes that's their entry point. We see a lot of converts to the Catholic Church. That was sort of their first entry point. They wanted to go somewhere, anywhere but Catholicism, but yes. they kind of end up going to the, the Episcopal route, right? So, well, Saint, I was reading about this and tell, I, I think this is correct, but it seems like St. Polycarp actually met St. Ignatius on his way to martyrdom. Um, was that? Oh, yeah, they were buddies. Yeah, they were, they were friends, oh, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were buddies. Uh, St. Ignatius actually wrote a letter to St. Polycarp, and you, could, and you could read that as well. St. Polycarp is another one, David. Um, when I was investigating the church, I, I also read the work of St. Polycarp. And we only have one letter by him now. Um, some of them have been lost. We have his letter to the to the Philippians. And, of course, we have the account of his martyrdom as well, which has a lot of Catholic stuff in there. For example, in Polycarp, he says, as he, he references Tobit as scripture. Oh, interesting. Okay, because he says, giving alms, and I'm summarizing here, giving alms, you know, forgive sin. And that's from Tobit 10, 15, I believe. What's interesting is that he references it in right after a passage from 1 Peter, and there's a passage from 2 Peter immediately after that. And he's not, he's, and he's not differentiating it. He did, he's, not saying, he's not saying that these letters from Peter are scripture and Tobit isn't. When you go up in that paragraph, it says scripture says, da 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 da. da. Mm -hmm. So Tobit was in there, and I'm reading this. I'm like, well, hold on. He's referencing a book that is not in the Bible. <laughs> right. That that is interesting. Yeah. Did you know at the time that the book of Tobit was in the was in the Bible? Was in the you know the Catholic? I, I did. Yeah. I did. Okay. I did. And so in the software I was using, they had a footnote, and I didn't I didn't I didn't recognize this passage, so I clicked the footnote and it said Tobit, and I was like, whoa, hold on. For me, that, that was the opener too. Like, okay, here's someone in the early second century because Tobit died like 145, 146. Not Tobit, not Polycarp, Polycarp excuse yeah. me. Mm -hmm. So he died in the second century and already this book was considered scripture. And of course, just a couple, about 150 years later, 180 years later, we have the first list, one of the first lists that has it. And some Protestants would say, no, 
that was never considered scripture in the early church. Like here's one reference where it was. So, and then in his martyrdom, it's interesting. They tried to burn him alive and it was like wheat. Like he wasn't burning, but there was like the smell of wheat. And of course that was a reference. The church early church saw that as a reference to the Eucharist. Ah, beautiful. Wow. And as he, and as he burned and when he finally died, um, they came and the Christians took his bones and we're told that they held them in great honor. Mm. Relics. Relics, yeah. <laughs> Here it is early Sacramentals, on. right? With a small ass. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And so all this stuff just started happening. I mean, I started seeing all this stuff, all, all these distinctively Catholic doctrines in the, or even events in the early church fathers. And I'm not even talking, you know, the, the, the reign of the, the era of the early of the church fathers ends with St. John Damascene, probably like 786, I believe it is. So, I mean, there's a wide range there, but these are, er these are early. Um, the ones I've talked to you so far about, David, are second century. Right. Like early on, a lot of them that saw pa the apostles, uh, you know, Paul, right? Pa and were taught by them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Poly Polycarp and Ignatius of Antioch, for example, were taught by Saint John. Okay, so it isn't like they they were a few generations removed. Like, no, they were taught by this guy. <laughs> they they were taught by Saint John, the person who wrote the Gospel of John, the letters of John, Revelation, like all that. That's that's so fascinating, isn't it? Just go back real quick to Polycarp on the reference to Tobit. When it was the Council of Nicaea, right? I think that am I I think that's when the, the council that put the, the Bible together. Was it the Council of Nicaea? The Council of Rome. The Council of Rome, okay, sorry. Um thank yeah, you, that's why, that's yeah, why I got you here to help me out. Yeah, but Ni when, Nicaea Nicaea dealt with the uh, Trinity and the Arian heresy. When they were putting the Bible together at the Council of Rome, was when they had the book of Tobit, was there is there any evidence to suggest that maybe they used some of, of Polycarp's um, uh, references to Tobit to include Tobit in the the Catholic Bible, if I if I may call it the Catholic Bible? Do you know what I mean? Was there a reference saying, okay, hey, Polycarp, he was he referenced Tobit? That's one of the reasons why we're keeping this 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 book in the Bible. No, no, not not specifically Polycarp, but the, what they did is they were they were going off of. Uh, sacred tradition on the books that were on the books that were passed down and read in the churches already. That, that's kind of what they were doing. Now, obviously, obviously with Polycarp learning from St. John, that definitely could have been a factor in it. Um, it's not written. It's not written in the council documents. The tradition, so. uh, uh, sacred tradition with a, a capital T that the Catholic churches yeah. would, would certainly have been an influence in that. Right. So yeah, I was just, just curious how that, uh, how that came about, but uh, that, that was really, that's really interesting. Um, and, and I guess now that we're talking about tradition, I mean, we already talked about the, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the, the assumption is a tradition of the, the church. It's, it may not explicitly say that in scripture, but the, um, the capital T tradition says that that is so. I mean, and I, is there references even from that time from the early church fathers about the assumption of Mary being taught amongst uh, the faithful? I was reading somewhere too that back in that, era you know the, the first few hundred years that it was just it was one of those things that was so commonly accepted because it, it didn't happen very it wasn't very far into the past right and it was such a great event that nobody really talked about it much or literally because right. they just accepted hey it happened you know mary was assumed into heaven so there's really no reason to really write about it and does, does that make sense william i don't know right so there's the there's the there's this of the uh, there's the 
they call it dormition. So the church hasn't definitively said whether Mary just was raised body and soul, or if she died first, the church hasn't definitively defined that. So as Catholics, we're free to believe that either way, but St. Epiphanius in his work, the Panarion, which means bread box or the refutation of all heresies. Um, this was in 350. He wrote about the early church belief in the assumption. And this is what he writes. He said, like the bodies of the saints, however, she has been held in honor for her character and understanding. And if I should say anything more in her praise, she is like Elijah, who was virgin from his mother's womb, always remained so and was taken up, but has not seen death. So yeah, there's there's fourth century. And there's an early reference right there from Saint Epinate from um Saint Ep. I can't talk today, David. Too much Tim Horton. Tim Hortons. All right, Saint Epiphanius. Maple infused. It does something to someone. <laughs> really get the bacon infused one, William. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I can handle that oh, one. Boy. But yeah, there's there, so there's definitely references early on to the assumption. But the Protestant objection to that would say, you know, that the assumption came from an old Gnostic heresy that the church adopted. But when you dig into the church fathers, that's not the case. It's something that was believed. I mean, I mean, there's there's hymns to Mary coming from the second century, early on, talking about how she's ever virgin, the Theotokos, you know, assumed into heaven really early on. So it's really from a historical standpoint, you have to overlook a lot of historical evidence to say that it wasn't taught early on. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. No, that's great. So um, another, I guess, a, a question that comes up from Protestants, and, and you mentioned earlier how there's, you go through the early church fathers, they had some literature on this, some, some writings, uh, sounds like they were, it's kind of like cafeteria. Hey, we're going to pick what we, the, the quotes that we want to hear from, or we want to talk about from the early church fathers. But then there's that big gap, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, the resurrection of, of Jesus and the ascension and then the, um, the apostles, the early church fathers, and then it kind of skips to, you know, the 15th, 16th century, uh, sola scriptura, uh, and, and just the, the coming of, um, uh, the, the coming together of, of scripture itself in relation to tradition with a capital T. Um, what did the uh, early church fathers talk, or what did they mention, I guess, about scripture, Bible alone? Um, was there anything there that we could maybe add if someone, if we ever have a conversation with another Protestant, that might be a common objection of, uh, of the early church fathers and how it relates to Sola Scriptura? The early church fathers had a, they had a deep reverence for scripture. Of course uh, they, I mean, like we just mentioned a couple of them who knew someone who wrote scripture. <laughs> okay. Um, but they always caveated it with apostolic succession uh, with tradition. Um, St. Irenaeus is really big on this as well. He's talking about how you can't accept anything unless it is coming from the tradition um, when you look at the early church fathers, you're never going to find something that says Bible alone. Some will, some will use, um, like St. Basil as an example. He's a, he's a big one. Cause he talks about the authority of scripture, how we, we don't get anything that's not from scripture, but you have to understand who he's writing to. He's, he was writing to a people who believed that. And he was correcting them because he says, this scripture is part of the tradition that's passed down from the apostles. 
And the church fathers are big with that. Um, Augustine says that. Um, Irenaeus says that. Um, who else says that? Um, St. Hippolytus says that. So many church fathers say that. They always have this and say, okay, yes, scripture is awesome. Read it. And yes, we do get, we do get, we do get our doctrine from it, but it's not alone. We have what has been passed down to us from Jesus and from the apostles. And so there was this understanding that scripture was part of the tradition, but it was in the written form, but there was still this other form that was passed down. That's how the church fathers understood it. And you think about the the miracles of Jesus Christ, and I mean, I think even even uh, St. John said that, right, that the Bible or the book, yeah. book wouldn't contain all the miracles of Christ, and you think of all that he did, and even just these little snapshots of his life throughout the gospel, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a very kind of a broad, general view of what he was doing, right, and then they'd zero in on a few particular miracles here and there, but then uh, you also think right. about the life of the apostles afterwards, and and uh, you know that great commission to evangelize all nations, and I mean the stories they must have had traveling around and and uh, and bringing so many souls to to the gospel is uh, that's well, so so amazing. And you get a glimpse of this in John's letters, First, uh, Second, Third John, because at the end of them he says, "There's much more I'd rather say, but I don't want to say it with pen. I'll do it in person." In each of those letters, and there's a lot that's said in those letters especially in first John, but then he, he says, there's much more I'd want to say to you. There's part of that tradition. What was said while well, he's passing it on to those leaders in those churches to pass on. And of course we have St. Paul with St. Timothy, where we have the first Institute of uh, apostolic succession, right? Well, in the book of acts is the first one where, you know, Judas kills himself and they bring Matthias in. Okay, to to for in his place for his bishopric, but Saint Paul does the same with Timothy. Find able men that you could pass this on to, who will pass it on to others. So, the Bible's great. Read the Bible, everyone. Read it on a daily basis, please do. But not everything. The Bible itself does not say that everything we need to know is contained in it. It's profitable for teaching. It's a great thing. Read it. It's the inspired and errant word of God. That's what the church teaches about it. But there's also tradition that's been passed down. And they don't conflict. You know, a lot of Protestant friends will say, well, you elevate tradition above the Bible, because if if something doesn't, if your tradition, if your tradition doesn't agree with the Bible, then tradition trumps it. No, they work together. There's a way of understanding it historically. It's a fluid thing that we have. What was the, the scripture reference there, William, that talks about, um, I believe it was St. Paul saying to, to listen to what we say through both word and through tradition, through what we have passed along to you. What, what scripture? Well, he doesn't, he, well, he does it, he does it in first Corinthians at one point, but he also does it in first, uh, second, Thess- uh, second Thessalonians two fifteen. I'll make sure that I've yeah. got that in the notes just in case people want to reference remember that. The, yeah. yeah, remember the traditions that I have given you. Yes. Whether by word of mouth or by letter. Mm-hmm. No, that's so good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, what we do in the church, right? We have the, the magisterium is given to us to uh, uh, obviously with sacred scripture. And then the catechism of the Catholic Church can help us kind of pull these things together so that we can 
we can go forward and, and not only learn our faith but defend our faith and share it oh, yeah. with others as the, well. So no, that's great. The yeah, the catechism is such a great resource. Um, I've heard it said, I forget who said it. Oh, it's Tim Staples. The great he calls it the greatest systematic theology book ever written. Because it has so much scripture in there, it has all the has church father quotes, church document quotes. When I tell people to read the catechism, look at the footnotes and look up that document. I was just going to say that. Yeah, if you look at those footnotes, we, some of the, the fellows that we have talked about right here, they're they're at the bottom, right? There, right? Yeah. So the church isn't trying to hide anything. It's in plain sight. It's telling you where to find these things if you want to dig deeper into it. Because the catechism gives you kind of a snapshot. But if you want to do a deep dive, you want to read everything that happened in regard to this one thing. It's telling you where to go for it. So the church is basically saying, check it out for yourself if you don't believe us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nothing to hide, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. Do you have any any books that you'd recommend our listeners read to learn more about the early church fathers? No, Mike Equilina has a great one. It's called The Fathers of the Church. And he gives he gives some of the quotes in there, but then he, he explains the background, like what was going on when this letter was written. Or and it, it's a fantastic introduction to the church fathers. So I would I would really start there. And then you can go to newadvent.org.com or org, I believe it is. They have all the writings of the church fathers, or even of the saints, even up there for free. So if you go to the website, just do a search and type in, say, just uh, Justin Martyr. His first apology is going to pop up. Second apology, letter, trifo. All that's going to pop up there. You could read it for free. Yes. All that's there. Oh, so good. Right on. That's great. Uh, we'll definitely direct our listeners to go. There's just something else to have for uh, you know, how you can learn your faith. Willing back to, to what you're saying, I think we've all been there before. When we're in neutral in our faith, we're actually going backwards, right? If we're not learning and right. we're not... Yeah, you know, gaining more knowledge. Yeah, of course, it's important. We got to go to mass as often as you can, receive the Eucharist worthily, go to confession. But then, away from mass on Sundays, we need to to dive into Scripture every day, like you said, William, and uh, and the Catechism, learning our faith, and and reading about the early church fathers, reading about the lives of the saints. Uh, these are people that we really need to imitate in order to get to our eternal goal which is heaven so uh no i i just uh, thanks for for sharing all of these uh these quotes and this information i learned a lot and i think our uh, our listeners are going to learn a lot so so william tell us uh, about what uh, you're up to like you said earlier uh when i introduced you you're i think you're like the the most industrious guy in catholic media right now you're doing a lot of different things but uh tell people where they can uh, get a hold of you and, and what you're up to right now yeah so you can check out my website williamhemsworth.com but um, pretty active on YouTube. I go on, I go on YouTube every day. We read the daily mass readings from the Dewey Reams Bible and also give a biography of the saint of the day as well. And I do that just as a quick little devotional. It takes less than, I think the longest one has been eight minutes. <laughs> it's, they're really short, but it just, you, you could read, you, you listen to the Bible, you get a biography of the saint of the day, just help you grow in your faith a little bit. And of course we have the daily podcast, which is also put on YouTube. Um, so twice a week at least. So a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Has some great stuff coming up. Um, I've interviewed Bishop Strickland recently. I have John Bergsma coming. Scott Hahn coming. Father Frank Pavone is coming on. Oh, nice, good stuff. You're you're coming on. Let's not forget you. <laughs> Trying not so, to bring yeah, everything down on you, William. Here, but anyway. <laughs> so yeah, we have a we have a lot of great lot of great things. And the cool thing about this whole Catholic media thing, when I got into it. Uh, full-time in September 3rd. Some people said it's kind of cutthroat. 
and some sometimes that's the case but for the most part i've seen that everyone is just wanting to work with each other because we have the same goal of bringing souls to christ in his church and that's just a great thing to meet people from all over the world who have that same mission it's it's fun you're absolutely right well that's exactly what i've found as well and you're always you know and it, i mean we're we're all sinners so sometimes we you know we there's maybe certain people that take things a little too seriously but yeah for the most part i mean you know 99 percent of people are so great i think uh was best said to me by Rome boys who I know you've had on your your show yeah. before too one of the guys said uh you know there's no competition for the gospel we're all working together Amen. and uh we're in this vineyard and we're just trying to bring souls to Christ and uh the more we can have conversations like this and and let other people know whether you're in Canada the United States around the world that there's Catholics like us that are we're we're in the battle we're fighting but we're we have a common goal of getting to heaven and let's journey together because yeah I, I, I'm just such a firm believer that the devil tries to isolate us. He tries to make us, you know, isolate him with us and make right. us feel like we're by ourselves in this battle. And we are, we are so not by ourselves. We've got a, a great team that we belong to. And uh, William, I thank you for being on that team and being a teammate and uh, look forward to chatting with you again on uh, on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. It's always, always a blast. And thank you for what you're doing. Again, a big thank you to William Hemsworth for joining us on this edition of the podcast. And I had to chuckle there right at the beginning. We were talking about the weather. And then as you've probably noticed about halfway through, there was a lot of thunder and loud rain whenever uh, whenever I was speaking there. So I apologize for the audio. But uh, William Hemsworth, uh, uh, I didn't realize his prayers were so efficacious so quickly. But but indeed, we uh, we got a pretty good rainstorm. Uh, about halfway through that interview so again I apologize for a little bit of the audio on that but it was raining real hard here while we were recording the last half of that podcast so again williamhemsworth.com he's got a great YouTube channel to go to as well and check out his podcast know the faith defend the faith and again a big thanks to William for sharing some great information about the early church fathers and uh, I learned a lot and I hope you did as well and encourage you to uh, continue to to get to know your faith and uh, the early church fathers is definitely a kind of a gap in my uh, knowledge when it comes to the catholic church and now i definitely have a lot more desire in my heart to get to know a little bit more about the uh these uh, these men these men that uh, helped form our faith in the early church and uh, really planted the seeds and built the foundation of what western civilization is today all those centuries later so i really appreciate the insights from william and again, everyone, I appreciate all your feedback. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Hey, drop me a line anytime. I love hearing from you. And a special hello out to everybody from outside of Canada. We've got a, obviously a great uh, base of uh, folks that um, listen to us here in the Great White North in Canada and in Wild Rose Country here in Alberta. But uh, the universality of our faith, it's so amazing and so cool. And I hear from so many of you from outside of Canada it's, it's great. So thank you for all your feedback and uh, please do stay in touch. And Catholics, we know that drill. We know what we got to do in order to live a great life of sanctity and a life where we can be journeying with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's by going to confession. It's not always easy, but we got to do it. We got to do it at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, anytime you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.